Welcome to Beaver Tracks, a damn good podcast, bringing you inside the world of OSU admissions and providing you with a behind the scenes look at what goes on in Beaver Nation. I'm Heather Wolford, the Senior Assistant Director of Multicultural Recruitment. And I'm Amanda Price, Assistant Director of Resident Recruitment. Thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is Dr. Jason Fick, an Assistant Professor and the Coordinator of the Music Technology Program at Oregon State. He holds a PhD in music composition with a specialization in computer music from the University of North Texas, a Master of Music in Intermediate Music Technology from the University of Oregon, a Master of Music in Composition Theory from Pennsylvania State University, and a Bachelor's of Arts in Creative Music Technologies from LaGrange College. An active composer, audio engineer, and educator, Dr. Fick continues to grow and make advancements in his field by presenting at conferences, performing at events, and participating in professional organizations, including the Audio Engineering Society and the Society for Electroacoustic Music in the United States, among many others. Welcome, Dr. Fick. Thank you all for having me. So, Dr. Fick, our most important question of the day, of course, is which coffee stop on campus is your favorite when you need a quick caffeine pick-me-up before heading back to class or to the studio? Let me tell you this. I don't drink coffee. so <laughs> Neither does Heather. I'm not from Oregon. And um, with that said, I like the library. Java Stop is a place to meet people. Um, you know, they do the music shows there in the afternoons on Fridays. That's a fun spot to hang out in. Um, but I go there get some tea to take a break from the studio in terms of like stretching my back and, and just walking around because I do spend a lot of time sitting down on a chair. Perfect. I'm also not a coffee drinker, so I'm with you there. But I do love to get a London fog from Java Stop. Um, that's my jam there on a cold day. So I uh, agree on your selection. So before we jump really into our detailed questions about your career and uh, the program here at Oregon State, we wanted to start with a basic. So what exactly is music technology? Music technology involves using hardware and software to compose, perform, analyze, all kinds of aspects of making music. Examples are simple and conclude things like making music with Pro Tools or Audacity, some other Reaper, but can extend to like making your own musical instrument out of a sensor suit for a dancer to wear that she will then play by moving around and that playing will impact how the music changes over time and many more. <laughs> so from like recording and software and a lot of people use notation, all kinds of digital tools to analyze music these days. Music technology is a broad kind of term that encompasses so much more. You know, um, I'll, I'll leave off some of my answers because I think they might lead to uh, later questions, but there's a lot of subspecialties of music technology, including commercial music, music production, audio production. Um, there's a lot of terminology that different programs around the country use but they're all kind of under this blanket area of music tech. That's awesome. So, you know, when we're thinking, I guess, about music technology, it's more than just what people hear on the radio in terms of music. They could be hearing sound and music technology for a lot of different purposes, like you're saying, in a lot of different areas. So we have one of your pieces that we wanted to listen to and see if Amanda and I can guess maybe some of the sounds that are incorporated into the piece. And you can tell us either how good our ears are or how, how terrible we are. <laughs> so Amanda, let's hit the piece. That's fun. 
I mean, definitely it sounds like a metronome for my very limited music experience. Oh, I was going to say a, a ticking clock. It sounds mm -hmm. like I hear a ticking. I also hear water maybe dripping or like falling on something that almost sounds like rain um, or like water from a faucet maybe. Or gravel, I think we talked about earlier, or someone driving over gravel. So how, how close are we? What, what did we miss? Going in the right direction. <laughs> the most a clear sound, again, that in that clip that you played is that pulsing sound in the background. Uh -huh. That is a soda can being ripped open. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, it's a, you got you to gotta tune up your uh, concepts of, or sounds of aluminum. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go open it's editing. Know. It's all tricks. It's all smoke and mirrors. I was ripping a can and I just cut just that one part and then I've made it a, a pattern. There are some water sounds in there, some gravel sounds, but um if you ask for the sources, sorry, none of them are water. None <laughs> of them are gravel-like. But I'm I'm I've created things to imply that kind of space. The only sources used in that piece were ripping things. So paper, eggshells, which you didn't hear in that section, um, cans, uh, milk carton, plastic. The piece is called Junctures. The idea was to kind of take these momentary ripping sounds that last a second or so and like create this whole narrative little world out of editing and manipulating them into new things that might imply water metronomes musical emotions the opening of the piece is really kind of aggressive and this is kind of a more calm mysterious kind of space i like what you uh are hearing um in terms of the narrative because that's what i was going for but the sources themselves were not uh what you guessed but that's the power of music technology and i think it can lead to a great discussion today about like what can be done especially with sample manipulation and editing. Yes. And I'm going to give us maybe like a C plus B on the grading seal, because I think we're, you know, getting some concept there. So I'm feeling pretty yeah. proud of that. So I'll give you, I'd give you a B. Yes. Dr. Fick, can you tell us how did you initially get started in this field? Yeah. So um, like a lot of people, I think in the music space or even in other uh, spaces, I was in a band in high school. Nirvana was huge back then, and I thought this was the path to success in music, you know? Know a couple chords, and it will all just fall in place. Uh, my friend was a little bit more savvy than me, and he had a mixing console and a four-track recorder, and I was really attracted to one person playing lots of parts and recording them and like layering mixing and i made a song once when i was like 16 or 17 that had me like playing a couple guitar parts a bass line and singing it's embarrassing to listen back to but i love it because like it's the beginnings for me so i i was really attracted to that element more than the performing element the like behind the scenes kind of what can i do as a a writer and a editor to kind of make this uh at the time it was an analog but digital product you know make this thing so i went to college and studied this a little bit more and took a lot of detours along the way in terms of what i thought music technology career paths i would pursue kind of 
in grad school at U of O, um, I got a teaching assistantship and they just threw me in. I started teaching a class and in the beginning I was terrified, but after a year or so, I realized the beauty of being able to show people tools and approaches and then having them come back and make all this awesome stuff like way beyond like what I initially showed them. And I guess I just realized that like, gosh, I can do so much more with this, with, with this aesthetic. So that kind of got me hooked on teaching. And yeah, I guess the rest is, is history. You go back and listen to your original piece sometimes. I used to do tons of love songs. I was like the open mic king at LaGrange College. <laughs> uh, so I have a lot of these songs that I have on recording and stuff. You know, that was two or three years after my, my first high school experience, but still the same deal. Like I do go back and listen to those things. And my wife is also a musician and she will laugh at them. Uh, but I have, I have fond memories of the beginnings. <laughs> so you pretty much have done it all, recording, editing, producing, mixing. You've even done mu music engraving. What exactly is music engraving? It's not nearly as attractive as the other four things that you said. Okay. Uh, so it, it's music notation, uh, digital mutation, uh, notation, you know, so um, uh, composers, arrangers, songwriters that are putting stuff out there in sheet music form, we digitize it now. As opposed to years ago, they would engrave it on blocks and stamp it and print it on printing presses and paper. Now we just uh, enter a bunch of notes, like everything else in the in, in software. Uh, and I've done a couple projects for people's books and articles, as well as, as uh, my own scores that I publish. And as I said, it's not ne it's that's usually like the end game. You know, you've made the piece, you've. Uh, if it has notation, that is. Uh, you've made the piece, you've edited it, you recorded it, now there needs to be a sheet. Um, so I do that bit as well. Next question. I'm going to guess music engraving is not going to be your answer. So my question is, of all of those different pieces, then what is your favorite part of the process? Yeah, it's tricky for me um, because... Uh, and this leads into my aesthetic of, of music production, but there are so many hats that we have to wear as music engineers, producers, performers, composers, teachers, and more. Um, I'm attracted to composition and editing, but specifically in terms of music production, I like editing. What I like about it is I like starting with something that, you know, has been recorded and given to you. And, and sometimes, that's, sometimes that's simple as putting some fades on it, sliding some pieces around, like you probably have done a lot with these podcasts. I really enjoy listening to a final project that I heard the beginning version and then I heard the end version. And like I said, a lot of times that's easy. It's just moving a couple things around. But sometimes it's a real badge of honor to make this thing come to a, a, a really nice sounding end form. You need a lot of glue, a lot of tape. But yeah, I, I love getting into those little details. And as a producer engineer, I can take audio production. So dialogue like podcast stuff or music recording and, you know, edit, mix, master, all that kind of stuff to it. As a composer in the piece that we just listened to, there is a ton of editing in there. 
Uh, I probably have like 400 samples of me ripping things. And of those samples, there's so many variations. I think the file itself had like, I don't know, nine gigabytes of just little audio files that are like two seconds long. So lots of variations, lots of cuts, lots of pace, lots of fading. I love that kind of work. It's detail oriented and some people get heavily frustrated by it, but I like getting into the, the weeds of it. Um, so I'm attracted to editing um, from both uh, an engineering and composition perspective. Well, I can tell you after editing this podcast, that is not my favorite thing. So it definitely <laughs> takes a special skill set. So I am very impressed that that's your favorite. <laughs> Are you for hire for podcast admission, podcast editing? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, we do have a team of students that actually do this kind of stuff. So potentially that could be a collaboration. I know some of my students have worked on the Engineering Out Loud podcast for the last three years, um, doing the editing and recording for all that. Um, and I don't know how serious you were or not, but we have a team of students that do work on campus and would love this kind of work. So, And a shout out oh. to the Engineering Out Loud podcast. Another one our students yeah. should listen to. Some really cool yeah. stuff happening there too. Absolutely. So Dr. Fick, it was incredible to go through your resume and see all the different things that you've done. What do you consider your biggest or maybe favorite achievement in your career? Yeah, you know, this is a tough thing. Um, I think, as I said earlier, it's uh, music technologists today have, they wear, we wear so many hats. So you look at my resume and you see, well, he's done like production stuff. He's done teaching. He's done composition, grant writing, article, blah, blah, blah. All these kind of things. First and foremost, I'm a teacher and, and I get the most pleasure uh, as I discussed earlier briefly, uh, I get the most pleasure out of like teaching students because everything I do informs my teaching, my composition, my engineering, my networking, my service I do in organizations in the region and nationally. So for me, I would say, you know, I'm proud of the position I have here. The ability to teach the future generation of music technologists, I think is really important. And it's, there's a lot of, um, weight to that gig and to this gig and I don't know I think it's really cool that I got the opportunity to come here and I'm building this new program you know um, this is my fifth year at OSU now and um, when I came here we had about two or three courses in music technology and club mostly for non-majors and since I've been here you know we've really kind of got rolling with the program initiatives collaboration with other units on campus and I don't know I like my gig and I think that uh, teaching is, is the thing that I would select that's uh, I'm most proud of right now. Awesome. Well, thinking about, you know, getting students, uh, encouraging students to go to college and kind of take those next steps. Uh, we noticed that in 2017, you did a paper presentation at the 12th Art of Record Production International Conference in Stockholm, Sweden, titled, Why Study Music Production at a University? The Benefits of Multidisciplinary Approach to Enhance Student Learning and Career Preparation. So can you give us a little glimpse of what that was about or why you would encourage students to you know, take that step to university to learn this subject? Yeah, sure. We, um, and we, I mean, our, our industry, um, the music industry, fine arts, creative art industries are having more and more academic programs pop up all around the world. However, it wasn't always the pathway to get a gig to go to a college, right? I mean, I'm sure this is common knowledge, you know, um, in the 70s, it was like, oh, I know somebody that works at a, 
you know, live sound place. Now I'm on tour with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it wasn't that as happenstance, but still, like, there was a lot of word of mouth, who you know, and there's still a, a great deal of that. However, as more programs pop up all around the universe, or all around the country and world, it's becoming expectation that students have some sort of training, whether at a tech school, community college, university, like, like where we are at. My paper was, was more about the industry and the state of the industry and how music production specialists wear a lot of hats these days. As I said earlier, you, you might have um, people that have three or four different jobs. We're moving to a gig-based economy, you know, and there's less and less kind of like, well, I work, you know, and make a salaried position. Um, there's more, more often than not, you find music tech people working in a lot of capacities. For example, they might be working on um, just like a flat-out stipend for doing sound design for a video game, while they also have a part-time gig doing live sound at a church. And then they also work part to five doing technical specialist stuff for like an online sales company or, or many other things. Mixing a track for someone in Iceland for like, uh, there's, just, there's just so many things. So how can we prepare our students for this kind of current climate? You know, and music tech is a space that we have to continually reevaluate. The degree that I'm rolling out now needs to be reevaluated in five to 10 years to see if we're still offering the right courses were the right approaches that align with industry standards. And today the industry requires this multiple skill set. So my paper, my talk was focused around recognizing the way the world is and trying to come up with solutions and educational um, approach or pedagogical approaches, classes. And I talked a little bit about what I'm trying to do here at OSU. Um, so shout out to OSU in our area um, um, in Stockholm. And, and one of the keynotes of that conference was um, Benny from ABBA. He came out. In, Just a small in, name in, in music. Like, yeah, in Stockholm, they're huge. They have the ABBA <laughs> Museum out there. And like, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty cool event to network with educators from all around the world and to talk about how they teach production at their various institutions. And I'm hopeful that down the line, we can start creating some collaborative opportunities between our students and students out there. That's the OSU thing, right? Out there. That's right, out there. Well, <laughs> students can take courses such as sound design, mixing and mastering, and music business and marketing. What can a student expect to learn while they're in our music technology program? Yeah, follow, that's a great transition, <laughs> following up from the previous thing. It's this multidisciplinary skill set that balances hard skills, so like tech skills, music skills, interdisciplinary skills, with soft skills. You know, a lot of research is coming out today, regardless of what fine arts area they're in, is educators and emplo employers want timeliness, students that can be self-starters, that are... Um, all the soft skills, communication skills, good researchers, collaboration. So balancing the hard tech skills like learning to operate digital production software, learning to compose music, learning to do sound design, live sound for events while working with other students at different skill levels. You know, we just produced our concert last night. 
it was kind of cool to see the students of all the different levels come together in this one event and we had students tech the show as well so the virtual show they put the piece together they ran it they did mixing and mastering to the set as a whole the individual students composed all the music so it's working working with people and the music industry has a long history of that you know we're all now figuring out new ways to work and collaborate with each other but the music industry has been working in remote context for years i mean i remember when the the group fun came out just uh, 10 years ago and they're talking about how they're recording bass lines in hotel rooms and they're going to the studio to track this and that i mean this is commonplace so music production is an area that um um, can kind of thrive in this kind of digital space. But getting back to the, the main question at hand, um, yeah, I just want to provide skills with students with as many skills and opportunities to work in capacities like it would be in the real world as possible. So working alongside faculty members to produce projects. We have a lot of faculty in the music department that are actively doing stuff all the time, and we want students to experience that internships all these kind of things so we teach them the skills the hard skills of the tech stuff we teach them we give them practical opportunities to work on campus through things like podcasts live concert recording and, and other types of things um, to prepare them for a future career in the industry um, and collaboration with other majors too is very important to us you know so many of our one of our recent graduates now is doing video and audio editing. It's that video piece that like five years ago, I wouldn't have thought like that's such a thing, but it really is, you know, it really is important for students to have some um, outside of music skills, I think. Is the production that happened last night, was it recorded at all? Could our students go and listen to it? Yes, please. Uh, I sent uh, Heather uh, the link to that. It's, it was a streamed concert of, mo some of them were live, recorded live, and others were music video style edits and experimental videos that students put together with music. And it's on YouTube, the CLA YouTube page that... Um, um, uh, the CLA marketing team has just created. So please, please check it out. And So can you tell us a little bit more about what students have access to here at OSU in terms of our on-campus recording studio and some of the state of our equipment and gear that they have access to as a student in the program? Yes, uh, thank you for that question. Everyone is always interested in what gear, what stuff do you have? Yeah. <laughs> We have um, a couple spaces that I can break down for you. Um, the showcase piece is in Snell Hall. We have a two-room multi-tracking recording studio that has a large frame 32-channel uh, mixing console. So when I say large frame, it's big. It's, uh, I don't know, seven feet long. Um, it's a little excessive, um, but with that said, some students that might go out and work in a recording studio, you might be working on a 128-channel board. So it's good to let students experience the, the high-end uh, element of that. So that studio, that's a signature piece in that studio. The recording studio is, can fit about, I don't, I don't know the dimensions on it, but it can fit about 20 people playing in there live. So we have a lot of microphones, a lot of effects processors all physical gear in the recording studio 
so they can get that analog that like physical equipment learning and experience in our recording studio and we have classes in that room uh students can take a barrier exam to use the room on their own so it's like a practical skills test as kind of similar to what you would have uh, in a job uh, skills practice test kind of thing um, they get access to the space and they can record all the projects they want within reason in terms of hours uh, hours of operation um, so uh, we have a lot of gear in that room and then um, in the music building in community hall we have five post-production studios that students can check out and go in and use they're smaller rooms kind of uh I don't know, 10 by 10. They have um, speakers, the industry standard software like Ableton and Pro Tools. So they can go in there and, and even if they have other software, they can connect their stuff to the monitor and use our speakers and our plugins and our hardware. Uh, there's five of those studios that we have and they were very, uh, they're not all identical. We have a bigger one that has like more gear. Um, so students can use them to do their homework, extracurricular projects, uh, whatever. Uh, we also have um, a huge room that has a bunch of gear for checkout. So students can check out microphones, speakers, mixing consoles, Ableton push controllers, a variety of hardware stuff to use um, for a variety of projects. And now we've been partnering with Student Multimedia Services and they have purchased equipment as well. And they have just built a sound studio as well for smaller podcasty kind of single recording kind of stuff. So uh, there are a lot of opportunities for students to come to campus and use our stuff. And I'll say to the students listening to that, um, while you can make a lot of great music on your laptop, great microphones, really high quality speakers, other physical equipment is really important as well in terms of realizing your final product. So we encourage students to hear their stuff on great sounding speakers, actually, as well as crummy sounding speakers. I always take my great mix that I made in the studio on our $10,000 speakers to my Honda to see what what translates and we all laugh about that but that's that's becoming an industry standard practice now because just because you made your thing on a really fancy studio doesn't mean your friend's going to listen to it that way they're going to listen to it out their laptop speakers so like we got to make sure that bass translates well um, so we have a lot of gear facilities things on campus that students can take advantage of if you ever need an old car to like do some test sounds, I would be happy to, you know, let you use my Hyundai like 2003 yeah. to get that quality sound control. I got a Honda 2002 with a tape deck <laughs> and a CD player, but surprisingly, the CD player broke and the tape deck's still going. We had to explain to a coworker what Amanda's tape deck in her car was the other day, and and that made me feel ancient. Yeah, <laughs> and for our yeah. listeners. Yeah, this this happens, you know, uh, for me, Vanilla Ice used to be like a topical reference. And now he's like an old man. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Your response to that kind of segues perfectly into this next question. And much like you did in your younger days, it seems like with the rapid advancement of technology, students might may find ways to get involved with music technology before they're even here at OSU. 
What advice do you have for students who want to explore the field of music technology before they even step foot onto a university campus? Yeah, thank you for that question. It is very important to consider this. Years ago, music technology was a field that you would start learning about in a college or through a job. Not everybody, you know, in the 70s, 80s, even 90s had all the stuff you needed to make music. Now you can buy a phone and on the phone, if it's an Apple, it has GarageBand, you know, or, and there's PC and Android equivalents, free stuff to get started now. A couple of years ago, I taught camp and there was a, a young woman, a teenager who said, I've been using music technology for like five years on my iPad. And I was like, what? Initially, I was like, no way. But she had a really great sense about how to make these things. And it translated very well to using desktop platforms. So I highly encourage exploring the free stuff that's out there. There is a ton of things available for phones, tablets, and desktops, laptops, whatever, computers. Um, there's even browser-based DAWs. A DAW is a digital audio workstation, basically a software program to make music. And um, there's some really cool ones out there. I've been telling people now, especially during the pandemic, like doing some clinics for music teachers and stuff in the K through five. And we've been advocating for BandLab. BandLab is an easy, free thing. You just go to a website and you start making music. Stuff like that just opens the door. So what I expect and what kind of things that, you know, I... I encourage people, I encourage people to be creative, experiment with everything you can. Don't limit yourself. Take advantage of multiple software platforms. The thing that we don't want to get is I only use Pro Tools or I only do this thing. You know, it's very uh, similar to saying I only make this one or I only play this one instrument, which may be fine for an acoustic musician, but as a music technologist, you know, Pro Tools and Ableton are the cool softwares today. FL, Logic. 20 years from now, who knows what's going to be the cool thing today? Because Pro Tools was around 20 years ago, but it, it was on its second year of life. So Ableton, Logic, all these things that people listening to this podcast will understand. You know, the Reaper, no. These things were not around 20 years ago. So I really want students to learn about how to make music production, how to create, how to enter content, edit it, mix, master, because that stuff's going to translate. That's going to be uh, great like musician skills that you're learning today that will translate. You'll have to figure out where that button is in a different program, and it's frustrating sometimes, but um, it's the concepts, you know, and I... I I just want to kind of conclude that question with saying that just remember nowadays so many people are recognizing music technology and music production are 21st century musicianship skills so all musicians artists i mean even people like yourselves are working with audio editing uh, audio editing music technology translates into so many disciplines and it's so important i think for people to learn these skills not just musicians, but, but, but everyone, because you never know how that can aid your tools chest, you know, make you more entrepreneurial um, in the, the different things that you can do. So I, I encourage people to keep playing, take advantage, collaborate. There's a lot of cool free software that allows people to make music together within it online. Soundtrap is another one. Pro Tools first. You can just, I'm not trying to sell these products i'm just trying to like the people that are listening like whoa there's something free now that me and my friend can make a song with together 
And we don't have to say, I have only one computer. You, I'll take a turn. You take a turn. We can be on there together making music. And these new ways of communicating with music are really exciting. And I look forward to seeing where they're going to go. I know when uh, we were reviewing applications, I once had a student who submitted a link to some stuff that they had edited. And I thought that was really cool that they were already getting so involved with it. So we love seeing students being creative early on and being, you know, getting into a field that they're very passionate about. And uh, I was just going to add one, one more tag in there, because if you were a horn player, it's fully expected that you play your horn before you walk into the door in college. You know, so like, of course, students are doing music technology and we encourage that now. Years ago, you could say, I'm interested in music technology and that's enough to like, to start it. And now it's, we, we kind of expect people that, to come in the door having a few years of things under their belt. So, sorry to interrupt. I just kind of wanted to say like, we expect that in the regular acoustic music space. Um, it's becoming a norm in the, in the technical uh, music space as well. I used to play the clarinet and I think everyone was like, just stop. <laughs> no, no more from you. Music, not the field I was going to go into. But um, then uh, I guess our question from there really goes in, you, know, you talked about how uh, things are going to be changing and adapting and what we're doing now in five years might be totally different. So where do you see the field of music technology really going in the future where you think some of these changes might happen? What a transition from the last. I'll add, I'll add two more thoughts but I'll pick up on the last one. I think first and foremost, we're going to find music technology becoming more accessible. It's already the most accessible it's ever been. I remember in the 90s when people were very critical of the recording process of artists like Britney Spears and her contemporaries. And I'm not picking on them specifically. I'm more saying how the industry changed from like when the Beatles recorded, they would go in and lay down an entire track. Many times, the whole band would play together. So if Ringo missed a fill at the end, they would retract something. Oh. You know, and like in the 90s, and maybe even earlier, it became commonplace to step record pieces by pieces by pieces. In the early 2000s, or I should say probably late 2000s, iPad came out in 2010. Now you just have like music making digital tools in the hands of everyone. And it's just provided so many more opportunities. You mentioned about the clarinet, Heather, you know, um, and for whatever it's worth, there's a lot of people that play music in school and, and, and don't pursue it. Sometimes the reason, though, is people might not be as interested in the traditional approaches to music, classical music, um, um, notation-based music, um, access to equipment. Uh, I mean, tech's equi expensive too, but now that like it can be on a phone, you know, an iPad, like again, not everyone has a phone or iPad, but um, it's much, I think it's more commonplace to have a phone in your household than it is a tuba. And um, I, I love my tuba colleagues, you know, and, and these kind of things. Um, but I think accessibility of music technology from being on that that device we use for socialization and communication uh it can also i mean i got a four-year-old son who makes beats on the ipad let me play my beats daddy it's his favorite thing to do and i can just see well whether he studies music or not that's his instrument now this is a legit instrument you know and there's a lot of people advocating that for that in the music education space like these tools we need to embrace them i think initially there was some hesitation on like 
providing a studio in the hands of everyone, you know, like what, what kind of quality control will we have on the music in the world? Um, and there, there are some issues there, but like, I really appreciate, appreciate the accessibility that's happening right now. And I expect it to even get um, more, more. In terms of like some of the new technologies that are coming out, specifically AI, virtual realities, cross realities, you know, augmented realities. I mean, you can see, you can go look at a product in AR and see, take this couch and take a picture of it and see what it, you know, looks like in your house, you know, with the dimensions and all, and just like put it right there and like add some music into that. I mean, I have some students that did like virtual reality DJ club. They like designed a space, you know, had everyone get Oculus riffs and like go to their virtual part i mean games are incorporating this now the video game industry is enormous with sound um very different legend of zelda atari mario bro you know these original series that would just have a couple sound effects and maybe a little ditty that's a motive a melody that would repeat over and over again now you have full teams of sound designers actors mixing editors composition it's 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 a major thing so I, I i fully expect the lines to blur even more between entertainment art communication work um as things become faster more accessible seamless the online space i mean podcasting is a great example of sound opportunities that have popped up I mean, podcasting is hot, it's accessible, and stats are saying, you know, we, we were doing some, um, some research on podcasting versus videos for student learning, and students are much more likely to listen to a podcast than watch a lecture video hmm, of the same length. Uh, and we don't need to go into all the details here, but the point there is that, like, the podcast is an accessible platform that's created a lot of opportunities for music technology and audio production. Um, the last thing I'll say is interactivity. As technology becomes more accessible and more advanced, we have new ways of interacting with sound content. I'm sure you're all familiar with like some of the interactive shows on Netflix and other kind of platforms where you can determine what Kimmy does. You know, she do this or select your ad. Some of these sometimes on Hulu, these things come up. We're like, what kind of ad experience do you want? You know, they have these things for music, too. Some people have made some apps that you can download, like an album of an of a artist that has uploaded. There's one particular that has, um, like, five variants of the song. And you can, like, touch in your pad and scroll around and hear, like, a country version if you go to the top left. And as you, like, scroll down into the center or the side, it morphs the mixing and style to maybe a hip-hop version. Or the users have the control to interact with how they consume the music. So they become part of the performers and the experience as well. Not just as passive listeners, but more actively involved in the experience. I expect more of these type of worlds and things to come out that engage people with what they want and how they want it. Um, you know, look at the way games are going. That's a great example. I mean, when I was a kid, I would sit on the couch and hit buttons on a wired controller. Now with Wii came out about 10 years ago, you would flick something now with VR headsets. It's very visceral. It's very immersive. Um, I guess people want to move more. 
people want to interact, people want to do things. So I fully expect music technology to go in those spaces in both the commercial and experimental um, strands. I mean, to your point, music technology is so much more than I think what I originally thought of just relating to the music we hear on the radio. I mean, you have two non-tech people with a podcast and the whole editing process that goes into that. I mean, absolutely, these are valuable skills and um, I didn't think I would ever do anything like this. So I, it's useful, it's important and yeah. For yeah, and it's all, it's all related, you know, as I said in the beginning of this, music technology kind of implies one skill set kind of the more experimental instrument driven um communication interacting new tools music production is kind of a more of commercial way of recording editing producing mixing mastering music audio production very similar to music production but includes things like podcasting sound design live sound, which might not necessarily be connected to music, but gosh, the skill set is all really interrelated. And I think it's so important for students to have opportunities to study all these things. Um, you mentioned in earlier in the talk, sound design, and you know, we heavily uh, in encourage our students to take sound design through new media communication department. Um, because that's just a super important skill set. And in the last couple of years, we've been collaborating with theater. And since the pandemic, our, our students have been doing most of the plays in terms of recording, editing, and putting the sound design together. So you never know. You never know. You're going to school to make beats and music production, and you end up doing live sounds for theater and in New York. You, you never know what, what your career path. So, you know, I would just encourage those listening um, to... Just take it all in, just take it all in and, and just keep it with an open mind. Always look at how this class or this skill set can, I don't know, give you more tools in your tool belt, right? You can, you know, there's that my big fat Greek wedding. They say you can fix anything with duct tape, right? But if you have glue, duct tape, scotch tape, you know, my analogies are silly, but the more tools you have in the chest, the better house you can build. So take it all in. Um, I think this interview has definitely inspired me to maybe go back to school and study music technology for how much variety it has, for sure. I'm going to bring back the clarinet. Do it. Do it. I have my recorder experience. And that's about yeah, it. record it. You can do a duo. You can edit it to make it sound the way you want to have it out in the world. Perfect. And I might be reaching out to you again for your student help with our podcast because, like I mentioned before, not an expert um, in this. But I, I'm so grateful for you coming on to the podcast. I definitely learned something new about music technology. And as a wrap for this session, uh, so join us next time to hear more about what's happening in Beaver Nation. It will be a damn good time. Dr. Fick, can you give us a go beeves to end us here? Go Beavs. Yeah, go Beavs. Go Beavs.